0: Love is a powerful thing. Um, I don't know if you have seen the movie A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. Well, probably his breakout movie. Um, and in the movie, he is a peasant person who pretends to be a knight and becomes quite su- um, successful winning tournament after tournament. Um, and basically the bad guy of the movie f- realised I can't beat this guy. I've got to expose him as a fraud and, and finds out that he's really a peasant and, and, um, and he gets arrested. He's going to be charged for, for impersonating a knight and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he, at this certain scene of the movie, he's put in stocks and, and his friends who are very loyal to him are standing in front of him, basically facing down this crowd with, with weapons in their hands, hammers, like, um, like sticks. They're going to defend their friend from the humiliation of it. And as the crowd starts to sort of work itself up, out of the crowd steps, three men. Now the three men quickly pull down their hood and pull off their cloak and it reveals to be Prince Edward and two knights who are standing guard to him and all of a sudden everyone in the crowd recognizes his authority, recognizes his power and everyone quickly falls to their knee. They drop their their produce, they drop their lettuce, they drop their tomatoes, they recognize the authority of the prince and they, they, they recognize that He is in charge. If they revolt right now, if they continue doing what they're doing, the knights will actually pull out their sword and enforce that authority. And today, as we talk about authority, we talk about reigning, we're going to be talking about how love reigns, how love is a powerful thing. And and many people underestimate the power of love. And I I would argue how it's one of the most powerful forces on earth. It has has the potential to do so much. Many men in this room... Would be able to relate to the kinds of things that love drove them to do to win the hearts of their girlfriends or wives. Like if you think back, now you may not do it today. Some of you may need to sort of step up your game right now, but there would have been a time where you were going, you know what, I'm going to pull out all the stops to impress this lady. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to be impressive so that I can win her. And, and love makes you do those things. You, like, in, in reality, like, even the wedding day itself, you, you stand up in front of all these people and, and you declare your love to each other. It's sort of, some, and some people, I don't, I don't want to say that, like, and, and you'll, you'll see movies where people have to say, I love you over the phone with a crowd of people watching, and they don't want to do it. They don't want to look foolish, but ultimately, love will make us do foolish things, but it's a driving force. Love is a driving force behind our sacrificial actions towards our family and friends. We will gladly pay any price in order to demonstrate how much we care. Love is powerful and it moves us to do amazing things. And before there was even an Easter Sunday, there was a Good Friday. And before there was ever a resurrection, there first had to be a death. And so that's where I want to start today. The the fact that there can be... in, In what happened, there was... There can be only one. There can be only one king. For, for 33 years, Jesus Christ walked the earth while serving the hungry, healing the broken, and delivering the oppressed. He announced the coming kingdom of God and the restoration of all things. He claimed to be the son of God. Many believed him to be the true king of all things. And this kind of thing, thinking and teaching caused a lot of conflict in the area that Jesus served in. See, at the time, the ruler of, of the ancient Near East was Rome, and Rome had installed a vassal king in Israel. That was Herod. Herod was a tyrant and was constantly afraid that his authority would be undermined. Another potential king would be a threat to Roman rule, and therefore he had to be eradicated. And both Herod and Jesus could not reign over Israel. So the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman centurions worked together to have Jesus arrested, brought before trial in his chains, And we convicted, beaten, nearly to death. And then he was forced to carry a rugged wooden cross all the way to the hill that he would be killed upon. And we saw in the reading that that Mick read today the journey that Jesus took to the cross. We saw the, the struggle that he faced. We saw the pain that he would have felt. And what we need to understand that the motivation behind all of this was his love for us. It was He was thinking of each one of us as he took each step. That's what kept him going. That's what enabled him to face the pain. The, the journey that Jesus took was marked by ridicule and disbelief. The soldiers mocked Jesus by placing a sign over his head, calling him the king of the Jews, even though they did not believe it. Those who passed by mocked Jesus by telling him to save himself if he really was the son of God. And the priests and teachers mocked Jesus by telling him to get off the cross if he really was the king of Israel. They didn't understand that by staying on the cross, by willingly submitting his life for ours, he was showing that he was a true king. None of them understood that the true test of Jesus' power and authority was not his ability to save himself from crucifixion, but it was his, in his ability to overcome the death, the crucifixion would result. Sometimes we miss the proof of Jesus' lordship because we are expecting him to prove himself in certain ways or to do, and, and he does something different. Many people have decided in their hearts that they will never trust in Jesus unless he meets their expectations. Unless Jesus heals their relatives or gives them a job or stops world hunger or writes something in the sky that you can't deny, they will never trust him and obey his authority in their lives. They can never allow themselves to see him as king unless he does what they want him to do. And right there, like, do you know what? If I went over to... England, knocked really loudly on Buckingham Palace and going, you need to prove you are queen. She wouldn't go and go, oh, you don't believe I'm queen. Well, let me do some queenly things. She wouldn't even sort of stoop to that level. There would probably be people with guns and swords and spears and other things who would quickly wrestle me to the ground and then they'd find a big hole and put me in it. That's what would happen. She wouldn't even entertain me. And the same, the thing is, when we think of Jesus as king in a way where he needs to prove himself to us, this kind of mentality is the same kind of struggle that plagued those who were there at Jesus' death. It's also the same mentality that drove Herod to be part of the death of God's son. When we demand Jesus to prove himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. Herod was not the last one to be threatened by the kingship of Jesus. He was not the only one to struggle with the idea of Jesus being in charge. The truth is that this is still an idea that we have a hard time with today. See, in our lives there can be only one king. And it's been said that on the throne of our hearts sits the one who reigns in our lives. So just imagine this is a throne. Now, this you've got to imagine this is way better than the throne that you are sitting on right now. It's not the same chair. It's way better. Um, you can imagine the how it's way better, but it's way better. And so this is the throne of our heart, of our lives. And whoever sits on this is the person that we see as king. The problem is, too often, we like to get comfortable on the throne. We like to sit there and we go, I am in charge of my life. I'm the one who makes the decisions. I'm the one who makes things happen. I'm, I, and especially if we're a go-getter, if we go, Do you know what? I'm going to fix everything in my life. I'm going to sort of sort it all out. The problem is, like, if even though when I think I am king, there's a lot of things in my life that don't respond to me as king. Firstly, my children, they don't respond to me as king. Well, I don't think it even comes close. I think they think they're king as well. Like, um, I think that's how it works in our house sometimes. Maybe, maybe like, if you, if, if you are in a place where your boss, and you were in your throne, but your boss is telling you what to do all the time. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe my boss doesn't realize that I'm the king of my life. Maybe when the problems come our way, all of a sudden our problems don't realize that, do you know what? I don't care whether you think you're king or not. And ultimately, we get to the point where our decisions become very selfish. We always look after number one when we are on the throne. And the thing is, for us to acknowledge Jesus as king, the first thing we need to do is to get off the throne. We need to get off the throne that is there and actually let Jesus onto that throne. Now, this is... And for those who are still going, I'm not sure I trust that, this is... this is. I'm going to give you a quick why, because... The thing is, the fact that Jesus has done everything in his power to show his love for us, to make a way for us to be in relationship with him, to actually say, you can trust me with your life. Jesus actually has already done those things. And he continues to do those things. And and the thing is, the discussion normally goes, well, Jesus, I'll let you be king if you do what I want. Does that sound like a king? That sounds like a genie. Sometimes we want to treat Jesus like a genie, not the king. And so this is how we treat a king. And especially knowing that Jesus is a loving king who desires to be in relationship with, our question becomes, my Lord, what would you have me do? My Lord, what, what, how would you have me live my life? My Lord, what do you want me to change in my life? Because when we are king, we think we've got it all sorted out. Everything is right in our life. Um, anyone here think they're close to that idea of perfection? Okay. Like, I can see some people wanting to put their No, no, no. But, but the thing is, like, um, some people, I'm just this close. There's just this one, I made a mistake like 20 years ago and it kind of ruined my record. But, but the thing is, like, There's stuff about us, and most of us are aware that that junk in our life that we we don't like, those attitudes that we have or those thoughts that we have, or maybe even worse, those things actually come out and into actions. We say something horrible about someone and we justify it some way or we actually do something horrible to someone and justify. I was justified in doing that. When we're king, life doesn't sort itself out. But when we let Jesus on the throne, he is allowed to be king of our lives. And the thing is, we can trust him because of the God that he is. He's not a mean, vengeful God who is wanting just to sort of rule over us in a horrible way. What we need to realize is that there can only be one king. If Jesus is dead, then none of this matters. But if he's risen from the dead, it changes everything because he is king. And what we need to realize is that love overcame death. Three days after Jesus was crucified, they laid him in the tomb. And to everyone's shock and amazement, he appeared in bodily form to many of the disciples and others. This has never happened before. I have done a few funerals, not, not a lot, a, a number though. I have never come to the funeral and had a person not be in their coffin. They've they've always been there. None of them have hopped up mid-service saying, "Oh, I just had a bit of a rest and I'm, I'm I've come back alive now." Like that's what makes funerals so sad is that there is a person that you care about who is no longer going to be in your life. And yet Jesus overturned that basically in in doing it because while the disciples were still mourning his loss, while the tears were still fresh on their face, while the pain was so real in their heart, Jesus showed up in a locked room and said, peace be with you. What else could he say at that point in time? I, I think he might have had to say it a few times. Guys, peace, peace, calm, calm, everyone. No, like, yep, like, Jesus was dead and now he's amongst them and he's saying, I am alive. I have risen from the dead. Love overcame death. <coughs> they had seen him killed. They knew he was dead. And now he was eating with them, walking with them and talking with them. Jesus' love for humanity had overcome death and defeated evil once and for all. His resurrection is the proof that he was indeed the true king. There was a renowned artist, now I'm not big into art, but I've been told that he wasn't a renowned um, artist, Paul Gustav Dor, uh, 1821 to 1883, so some of you may have been there, not me, um, but but he lost his passport while travelling in Europe, and when he came to a border crossing, he explained this predicament to one of the guards, giving his name to the official Door hoped that he would be recognised and allowed to pass. So this is well and truly before the days of Instagram and Facebook and he'd have some kind of digital identity. Um, the guard, however, said that many people attempt to cross the border by claiming to be persons they were not. He needed proof. And so Dor insisted that he was a man he was the man he claimed to be. And he said, All right, all right, said so the official, we'll give you a test. And if you pass it, we'll allow you to go through. Handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, he told the artist to sketch several people standing nearby. Dor did it quickly and skillfully. And it was so impressive that God was convinced he was indeed who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. And that is the same with Jesus. Jesus' work has confirmed his word as well. And though many doubted him and mocked him, death did not have the last word. And final say, love did. The scripture tells us this is a true that is true in one of the most famous passages of all in scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to live and to die. And when we put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we will be saved. That is why we celebrate on this day. We've been given an opportunity for eternal life. We know that because of Jesus. The worst thing that will happen to us will not be the last thing that happens to us. Do you realize that? Like, sometimes as you get older, like, I'm, I'm not old old yet, but I can feel the effects of getting older. Things are starting to hurt that didn't used to hurt. Like... Sometimes I'm tired and I stay tired for weeks. And I'm going, yeah, I'm going, that's part of getting older. And the thing is, I know where that's going to go. Like, I'm going to start having conversations with people where what we talk about is what's hurting the least. Like, what's hurting the most? Well, uh, we've got our list and all of a sudden, and we'll probably lose our breath during that conversation because the list is so long. And and the thing is, you sort of like, oh, I dread getting old, I dread getting old. If that's the worst thing that happens to you, it won't be the last thing that happens to you. When we feel pain, when we feel hurt, when we lose people, it's not the worst thing that will happen to you. Or it it may feel like the worst thing that happened to you, but it won't be the last thing. Because we'll experience resurrection and new life after Jesus had, re- had resurrected his final words to his followers, revealed to us the truth behind the Easter story. And we see this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Easter is the day that Jesus was given all authority on heaven and on earth, no matter how many doubted he he is the King of the Jews, no matter how many mocked him, he was still able to rescue himself and the entire world as well. No matter how many questioned his power, he he did defeat the cross once and for all. And we shared on Saturday the fact that the cross throughout the history of the Roman Empire, was used as a symbol to actually scare people into obedience. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And people would see them often enough to to be reminded of the power of Rome. And Jesus has taken this, this, this instrument of death and he has turned it into a symbol of hope and freedom salvation by that simple act all of a sudden the cross no longer was a scary thing and so many of us may have a, a cross that we wear or a cross we put on our arm or, or a cross that is in our in our car why because it is a symbol of what God has done for us his final instruction for all of his followers to go into the world and make disciples. He told them to go spread the good news of his resurrection and love to all who would listen. And we've been invited to teach the way of Jesus because it changes the world. Which is the last point I want to make today. We need to let love reign in us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the fact that love reigns. But God's love has enabled him to rule in our world. And sometimes we go, oh, it doesn't look like God is reigning, but God is. It doesn't change the fact. That just the, just the, the same way as the, the people who stood before the cross and said, oh, he said he was the king of Jews, or you said to your Messiah, save yourself. Well, he did, just not in their timing. And so just because they said it one day doesn't actually change the reality of who Jesus is. And we need to let that r- love reign in us. Today, if you consider yourself someone who would call themselves a disciple, a Christian, a follower of Christ, this instruction has been given to you as well. You are to be a part of making disciples. The 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 Greek word for this, I'm not even going to try pronouncing it, it it means learner or student when we, we use the word disciple. We are called to be a learner or student. And for some of you going, I thought I got out of school years ago. You're saying I'm stuck being a student? Yeah. And when we follow Christ, we are going to be a student all our lives. I'm not saying that you are slow. That's why you need to be a student all your all life. But I'm saying we are all a bit slow at times when it comes to following God. Sometimes like we, we we need to learn the same lesson over and over again. Anyone here on a repeat with a lesson that God is trying to teach them? Repeat and do it again. You come to the test, fail the test, do the lesson again. And, and the thing is, we are, we are called to be followers to students and learners of Christ. We are to allow ourselves to be students and learners of the, of, of the way of Christ and to help others to become learners and students as well. It holds that with our feeling of progression. To be a disciple is to be in a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. I think that's why it takes us so long. To become like Jesus. That's a pretty high goal. But the goal that Jesus has put before us. He's put put that before our children, he's put it before our our younger people, he's put it before our middle-aged people. I'm I'm just I'm I'm on this side of the middle-aged. Put it on our older people. God has actually said, "Oh, you are called to be a disciple. You don't get out of it because you've got more digits on your dial than other people. You don't get out of it because, I'm too young for that stuff yet. God says, anyone can come and learn from me and become more like me. Over time, we learn to live generous lives. We learn to forgive. We learn to serve others. We learn to practice self-control. We learn to be people of peace. And when we submit... To the love of Jesus in our lives we are compelled to live life like him and to invite others to join us this is what it means to let love reign in us I didn't understand that when I first became a Christian so some of you may have heard this story before but when I when I was younger I went to church with my family and I remember very clearly I was in probably around about grade five grade six and and I remember feeling like I was going to miss out on life this, this, so this is a, the thoughts of a 10-year-old. And, and I'm, I'm going, I don't want to miss out on what God has. So I was actually, I was afraid. I was afraid of missing out on, on, I was afraid of going to hell. I was afraid of missing out. And because in my mind, and so again, thoughts of a 10-year-old, I went, I'll become a Christian. I went, what mum and dad do, that's pretty good. I'll become a Christian when I'm older. 1920 is what I thought at that time. Because that, for a 10-year-old, 19 or 20, life must be over by then. And so when I first said I would follow Christ, when I first asked God to forgive me of my sins, my motivation was fear. I was scared to miss out. A few years later, I was at a high school camp, and as the, the last songs played after the, the last message of the camp, I felt my face just warm up. I was trying to stand behind my seat. I was trying to stay still because I didn't want to go. I went, God, I can I can do this later. I can, I can do the business that we've got to do without other people knowing about it. But I could not stand still. And I felt God urged me to go join the other people that had gathered out the front. And from that day, my relationship with God, all of a sudden I started to get it. I'm not saying I've perfected this over that many years. But the fact that God loves me, that's the motivation. That's the motivation to follow him. And the thing is, it's its its one of those things that has dawned on me at different times in my life as I've got married, as I've had children. All of a sudden, love motivates you way better than anything else. It changes you way better than anything else. And all of a sudden, the fact that I knew God loved me meant that I can walk in that love. I know that when I mess up, God is still loving me. I don't have to have this perfect performance, but God wants me to follow in His way. He doesn't want me to take it easy and go, and the fact that God loves me, it has enabled me to sort of grow in my love for God and say, Do you know what? I don't want to let him down. And and for those people who go, Do you know what? Don't get too legalistic, don't live a perfect life. Okay, let me put this challenge out to you. If you are married or planned to be married, and, cause this is, this is the way we equate it sometimes as Christian. We go, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm 80% good. How would you feel if your husband or wife was 80% faithful? I, I know my wife wouldn't be happy with me if I was only 80% faithful. I think 99.99 she wouldn't be happy with that. Why? Because we love each other. We, we've actually committed to each other. And in, in that way, we, we sort of say, well, and that's why when adultery happens, it's such a painful thing for, for relationships to go through because it breaks trust. So if the goal of marriage is to remain 100% faithful, don't you think that should be the goal that we have when we walk with Jesus? When God loves us and we love him, we want to be faithful to him and follow after him. The final reminder that we are given by Jesus before he ascends into heaven is is that he will always be with us until the very end. Maybe today you feel like God has forgotten about you. I want to remind you that you are never alone. Jesus wants to be as close to you as you allow. He is willing to live inside of us and for those who trust him by the power of the Holy Spirit. This means that no matter what you go through, no matter what you face you are not alone. And maybe you fall into a category of two different people today. One, there are some here who, who may have never made a decision to, to let love reign in their lives and follow Jesus. Maybe you've been waiting for Jesus to prove himself and has never happened yet. Maybe you don't want to give up control of your life because you are comfortable on your throne today I do want to give you an invitation to give your life to Jesus to let his love reign in your life I want to invite you to offer your heart and to become a disciple and a student of his for the rest of your life and to do this is very simple because we can take some time to pray in a moment but there might be some here today who have have trusted in Jesus but have grown tired of obeying him, they have Forced Jesus off the throne and and hopped on there again. Maybe you have strayed from Him or lived a life for yourself. Well, Easter reminds us that we can once again repent and obey. And this is you today. I want to remind you that Jesus promised never to leave you. He still loves you and He is still still with you. And commit once again to to the lot, again, to live for Him. This Easter may. May you see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the proof of his love for you. And may you let love reign in your life. May you join God in spreading this good news with the entire world that he has risen. Let's take a moment to pray. If you are here today and, and, and you've, in the words you've heard, you, you feel a tug on your heart to, to, to actually let Jesus To be Lord in your life, to let His love reign in your life. You may want to pray uh, this prayer that I'm about to read. Jesus, I confess that I've lived my own way and under my authority for far too long. I've sinned against others and I've sinned against you. I am sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died. And you rose again for me. And I welcome you to work in my life and to obey you above everything else. I want to join in sharing the good news of resurrection. And thank you for promising to always be with me for the rest of my days. Lord, I do pray for anyone who has just prayed that prayer with me. People that have asked to, to let your love reign in their life, to let you reign in their life. Again, that's what Easter was for. It was to bring people into new life. I pray for those here today who, again, may have, maybe be sort of pulling away from you or, or walking as, as, as far away from you as they can while sort of still being in the vicinity. I, I pray today as we remember your great sacrifice, sacrifice, as we remember your great love for us, that we would let your love change us. We would let Your love draw us back in. We would see the the greatness of being, of the greatness of walking in relationship with You. And so, Lord, I I pray that for those who are in that boat today, today may be a day where they ask for forgiveness as they recommit their life to You, as they seek to know You more and more. And so, Lord, as we go our own way um, this day, may we remember that love reigns in our life. And we pray this in your name. Amen.